So today, I want to talk about change. What is change? And, and the, the flippant remark might be that stuff that jingles in your pocket, but reality is change is altering something, transforming it, or replacing it. And, you know, to make it different in some way or completely. How do you feel about change? Most of us don't, and, and, and most of us will go out of our way to avoid change. Have you ever stayed in a relationship? You know, we're going to set aside marriage because there's a whole different set of rules there. But have you ever stayed in a relationship, a friendship, or you know, when you were dating, did you ever stay in a relationship with someone that you not necessarily even liked have you ever stayed in a job that you were miserable in have you ever stayed in a house that didn't meet your needs or that you didn't like why did you stay at the heart of all of those issues is what's at the root of our avoidance of change. One thing is fear of competency. Am I able to handle the change? Am I good enough to get through it? Or, which is oftentimes even worse, am I able to handle what's going to be on the other side, how it's going to be different. Fear of the unknown. I don't know what it's going to be. There are times that we have change coming and we know what's coming and we know what it's going to look like. It's all spelled out and we avoid it. But there are a lot of times when change is coming and we have no idea what it's bringing with it. The fear of uncertainty will make us shy away quicker than anything. And the other big fear that we deal with is the fear of losing ourselves. What if this change means that I'm not me anymore? Now there's a common theme in all of those. The reasons that we avoid change. What is that? Fear. That's the heart of why we avoid change. And I think, you know, but if we take change into a different context and we bring it into God's context, first we recognize that God is unchanging. And Scripture tells us that. So if you would turn with me to Psalms 102, and I'm going to apologize here. This is a study that could be done over six months as we look at the depth and the breadth of Scripture that talks about all of these aspects. I'm going to 
compress it down into one sermon. So there will be a lot of things that could be said that may not be said. But I'm hitting the the key points. We're going to try and hit the key points with this. Also, we're going to, because it's a bit of a topic, we're going to be bouncing around Scripture a lot because we need to understand how the whole of Scripture speaks to this. So, Psalm 102, 25 to 27. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will change them. And they will be changed. So there we see that God is eternal. If we go to Malachi 3.6 now. This is the Lord speaking. says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Israel. God is the same throughout time. He does not change His character, His nature, who He is. Let's take a look in James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. If you look at these three different aspects here, we see that, first of all, God is eternal. He was and He always will be. That He does not change and that there's no inkling of deceit in Him, no shadow that comes from what He does. We sit and we look at who He is and we can be confident in knowing God. The other part of this is because is that Jesus does not change. Let's look at Hebrews 13.8. And, and I'm pulling points here to m- make sure that everybody understands how pointed Scripture is. There are a lot of verses out there that talk about the eternal nature of God. But His being eternal does not mean that He does not change. You know, He... I can last for a long time and you know I'll, I'm not a young man anymore and I am not the same man that I was when I was young. Length of time does not prohibit change. It's character and nature that define whether we change or not. So if we look at Hebrews 13:8 very simple verse we all have heard it before. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to point out here, this is not talking about necessarily... This is addressing character. It's who is Jesus' character. Because we already know that He did experience 
change. He came to earth. He lived as a man. He gave up. He changed who he was to be here in that form. But his character remained the same throughout. Why did he do it? Because he loves us. He cares for us. He wants to provide, as we just talked about with the Lord's table, He wants to provide the path for us to be able to right ourselves with God. So if if God is unchanging and Christ is unchanging, what is change? Why is it so prevalent? Because though God's character does not change, He is a God of change from the very beginning. So let's go to Genesis 1. We're not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to hit a few highlights here to make the point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They weren't there. Then they were. Change. God said, let there be light. And there was. Radical, major change. He separated the waters. Change. He brought forth the land. Change. He created the sun, the moon, the stars. Change. The animals, the plants, and man. Let's go to Genesis 6, 7. So the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Big change. Genesis 12.1 And all of these are stories that we're familiar with and we recognize. It says, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There he's speaking to Abraham. Another big change. A change in the direction of humanity at that moment. And let's take a look at, I mean, we can go through Scripture and we can talk about all the different places that things changed. We could look at the Tower of Babel. All of a sudden, one language became many. Change. But let's flip back because 
Change is not limited to history. Let's go to Revelation 21, verses 1 and 3. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. For those of us who are living in this world right now, oftentimes, well, we can look around and see what separation from God means to so many. It's, you know, heartbreak and, and pain, suffering. And for us as Christians, oftentimes we feel distant from God. Like he is not there. And so to be living every day physically and with God in a new heaven, in a new earth, a new city of Jerusalem, really big change. God's whole plan that is laid out in Scripture is about change. Where do we fit into this, though? Well, man is an agent of that change. And we'll go back to Genesis again and we'll look at this. So Genesis 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What was Adam supposed to do? Change the earth. God got him started with a garden. But he was supposed to take that to the ends of the earth. Other agents of change that we know of, Noah. God said Noah found favor, but Noah was the agent of change. He was the sole survivor and the keeper of God's word. He went through the destruction of everything else on earth except for what was in the ark. We talked about Abraham. He was the father of faith. The faith that we carry now. Joseph. He was the bringer of change because he took Israel into Egypt. He made a place for them. 
there. You know, if, if you're familiar with how all that came about, Joseph welcomed his family in the middle of a famine into Egypt where they blossomed and grew and threatened to overpower Egypt just by God's good grace to them. Let's take a look at Exodus 6.1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. So Israel is in Egypt, at this point, no longer welcome. Greatly needed, but not appreciated. Moses walks in, says, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh resists. Moses is God's agent of change to bring his people out of Egypt to the promised land. We also have David, a shift in the leadership of Israel, very beloved son of God. He brought Israel to its greatest heights. And then his son took them farther. The dominant power in the region acting on God's behest. Daniel. And we can throw in there our friends in the furnace. They refused to relent on God's expectations for them. And what they did changed the course of Babylon and brought God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's prophecies. These are all people throughout history, others that we could talk about, Isaiah or Esther, all agents of change for Specifically, most of the time, Israel. Let's look at Acts 9. Because the Old Testament is not the only place that we have those agents for change. Verses 13 through 16. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And I hear that he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer 
for my name's sake. If you're not sure who that is, that's Paul. And much of what's here is the change that he brought. He's that agent of change, working at God's behest. All this is to reiterate and and to help us understand God is a God of change. His steadfastness, His security in who He is, our ability to know His character and the character of His Son. And by extension, though it's not set out, the character of the Spirit of God. That character gives us the ability to count on them through the change that comes, that is inevitable. But how do we typically deal with change? Let's take a look at Jeremiah 17. Verses 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his doings. As a result of the fall, our nature is deceit, lies. And who do we lie best to? Ourselves. Which is why we wind up dealing with fear and the change. Because we are wickedly deceitful. Let's go to take a look at Genesis and thinking about how we deal with change. Let's take a look at Genesis 3. From the beginning, how do we deal with change? So he said, this is Adam replying to God, where are you? I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. The thing that happened in the fall was that we began to doubt. Fear crept in. Uncertainty crept in. A lack of confidence arose. You know, when I was about five years old, we lived in South Florida, and my family took a trip to Miami Beach. And I was a short five-year-old. And if you've ever been to the beach in Florida, you know how hot the sand gets. It will blister your feet, literally. And so, everybody goes out into the bay there. And the water 
is even on me would probably have only been about right here when I was five. The problem is to get across to that calmer water, I had to go through the surf. And the waves were bigger than I was. And the first time I tried, it rolled me up in a ball on the beach. And and there was not enough wet, cool sand that wasn't in the waves for me to stay comfortably there. And I tried and I tried and I tried. But every time I tried, more fear crept in. One of these days I will have to go back to Miami Beach because to this day I hate Miami Beach. It was the most horrible experience, One, well, one of the most horrible experiences I had. And the thing that we need to understand is change is tumultuous. It can easily sweep over the top of us. It can uproot us. It can destroy our lives or remake our lives. And depending on where we are in that, it can be very, very devastating. So if that's what change is and we're here What does God do for us in that? Well, we're going to start with what I often say is the most misapplied Scripture in the Bible. We're going to go to John 3. And we'll look at that because that lays the foundation for everything else that's going to come. And you could probably quote it without me reading it. John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. That's where God takes us. That, that's where this kind of very dark and, and, and very scary part of creation takes its big turn. Because now all of a sudden, it's not hopeless. There is something else there. So let's go a little deeper into John. Let's go over to John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the most important change. This is the place that the biggest and most powerful change comes to us. Because... In that, now we begin to, we can begin to explore what does this bring to us? If I can come to the Father now because I couldn't before, how does that change my life? 
What does that do for me with fear, uncertainty? Because they're still there, right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm about to leave here and go have lunch and then do an interview and get on a plane. I hope it makes it there. I believe it will make it there. But if it didn't, that would mean a tremendous change for everyone I know. That's not guaranteed. My safe arrival home is not guaranteed. So how do I do this? How do I manage to get through? Well, let's go to Ezekiel. We're going to start laying a foundation to understand what this looks like. How do we do this? Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. All of a sudden, now, I'm changed. I'm different. I'm no longer trapped in my fear. So let's go to Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am not what I was. I am so much more now. I am brand new. I'm no longer stone. I'm alive. You know, we can go, I'm not dead. I'm living in Christ. So let's go to Galatians 6. See where this is taking us, because we're building up to something amazing here. Galatians 6, verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. So now, who I was no longer matters. What I was does not matter from this point forward. I am brand new in Christ. Till Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Ah, so now we're getting to this. Not only am I new, but now I need to set aside that old. I need to step out of my fear, my uncertainty. It no longer has power over me. It does not rule who I am any longer. I'm a new creation. Now I can put my efforts, 
my attention on the Lord. Let's go to Psalms 23. David kind of captures this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For His name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So what does this look like? If this is the essence of who we are as a new creation in Christ, what does that look like? Well, for the answer to that, the quick let's go to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. Be anxious for nothing in your confidence. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So through this, we get to a place where we don't have to worry. Fear no longer has control over me. Not only that, if I draw my energy, my reinvigoration from being grateful, I have the power to overcome anything. And I shared in, in the Sunday school this morning how important it is to have the right mindset, to dwell, to focus on the Lord, to be grateful in everything you receive, everything that comes your way. Count all the blessings. A few years back, Harvard did a study. They wanted to figure out what makes us happy. How do we get true, lasting joy? And much to their surprise, well, what would you think? What gives you the most joy? True, lasting joy. So, you know, some of us will chase that job. We'll chase the house, the car, the vacation, all of those things to be happy. What they found was gratitude. 
being grateful and expressing that gratitude to someone gave the participants in the study the greatest and longest joy. Second thing was forgiveness. Forgiving others. Not holding a grudge. And the third was giving. So, where does your vacation fall? <laughs> in, in your list of, I'm going to be happies. The point is, in this, in this, we see that if we're thankful and we don't hold on to the wrongs that others have done. Wow, sounds a lot like Philippians. Because if I'm not holding on to what you did to me last week, I don't have to worry about seeing you next week. If I'm not holding on to the things that caused me pain in the past, I don't have to worry about where I'm going beyond that. doesn't mean that we're unwise, but it means that we don't let these things rule our lives. So what does this look like if we're doing this? Let's go to Matthew 14, verses 28 to 31. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That's what it looks like. There's a little bit of a caveat here though. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was, well, there's that word again, afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? few years back found myself in a in a bible study uh, a sunday night meeting service and a delightful pakistani pastor a man who had such a heart for the muslim people began inviting them to this south asian fellowship and to get them to be open to a dialogue, he began letting them share a little bit about their beliefs. And one night they had this conversation on change. And they said, change is a bad thing. We don't want change. Change brings uncertainty 
Change brings fear. It makes people not want to engage. And I began thinking on that because it didn't quite match what I understood in Scripture. And, and I got this image. And, and think about this. If you're out in the ocean, and, and imagine you're on, you know, out in the ocean off the coast of Hawaii. What is the ocean like there? Huge waves, right? If you want to understand how this all works together, imagine you're a surfer. And your faith is your surfboard. When you stand firm on your faith and your focus is on Christ, that surfer can ride no matter what the waves look like above them. When he takes his eyes off of what he's doing, all of a sudden, he's rolled up in that wave. The change overcomes him. And what all of this says is, if we put our focus on Christ, we keep our attention where He is, and we stand firm in our faith, the tumult of change below us has little effect on us. We can ride anywhere. We can overcome everything. Even when the change, I mean, and, and think about it, that, that surfer who's in the tube, the change is all around him. Or her. But if he stays on task and keeps doing what he should do, which is ride the board the way it's meant to be ridden, he can come out of the tube and actually ride right into the beach. That's what our faith is. The board we stand on. As we rise above all the tumult, a fractured world, messed up the original design. And I say design because the plan was always included that. But the original design was for Adam to subdue the earth with his wife and be fruitful and multiply. The fractured part of that was when the fear was introduced. And now, what could be is what rules us. I want to leave us with one other little warning though. Let's go to Hebrews 4. Because though it's good news... Beyond belief, it is something that we need to take very serious as well. Verse 12, 
Chapter 4 For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit in the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The warning here is, don't fake it. Don't pretend. Understand what God says. Believe it. Trust in it. Genuinely and completely. Because the truth will out. And so, pick up your board. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come. And we thank You for this time to get together. For this opportunity to look into Your Word. To understand a little piece of Your mind. And Father, we just ask that Your message here, that that be what's written in our hearts, in our souls. And Father, that we walk boldly, confidently, fearlessly into the change that is constant around us. Father, this we pray in Your Son's so very, very precious name. Amen.